This is the news from the Lord. Hello, America. This is Jeffrey Lord with another edition of the Did He Really Just Say That? The Word of the Lord. Yes, America, the 2022 midterms are finally approaching. Election day is at hand, almost. And one person who just be me may be more grateful than most is Pennsylvania's Lieutenant Governor, the Democratic nominee for the U.S. Senate in Pennsylvania, John Fetterman. Did you see that debate with Fetterman and Dr. Oz? Yeah. And are you hearing Democrat gubernatorial candidate Attorney General Josh Shapiro call his Republican opponent, Senator Doug Mastriano, an extremist? I'll have more in a minute. But first, by now you've all heard me talk about my pillow, And now our friend Mike Lindell has done it again by introducing his new My Slippers. Mike has taken over two years to develop the slippers. They're designed to be worn indoors and outdoors all day long, and I do. They're made with my pillow foam and impact gel to help prevent fatigue, and they're made with quality leather suede. For a limited time, Mike is offering 40% off his new my slippers. The my slippers are so comfortable that you will want to get some for the whole family. So go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code Jeff. You will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including those fabulous Giza Dream bed sheets, the MyPillow mattress topper, and MyPillow towel sets. Or call 800-606-1043 and use promo code Jeff. Now, the other night, Pennsylvanians got a close-up view of both Lieutenant Governor John Fetterman, and Dr. Mehmet Oz at work in their campaigns for the U.S. Senate. The Fetterman appearance stunned viewers. The lieutenant governor, recovering from a stroke, had clearly not recovered. His verbal stumbles were emphasized, his confusion evident. Here was just one headline, this one from Fox, quote, panicking Dems tell NBC they regret Fetterman agreeing to debate Oz. Folks are pretty much freaking out. One Democrat strategist said anyone on his team who agreed to a debate should be fired or never work again, unquote. Well, I'm into that. I don't agree with Democrats very often, but I certainly agree with that one. Take this one exchange between Fetterman and a debate moderator. Mr. Fetterman, who has been repeatedly attacking fracking in his career, was asked by the moderator about this negative position on such a critical Pennsylvania-centric issue that employs thousands of Pennsylvanians. His answer, quote, I do support fracking, unquote, Fetterman said. Then pausing and adding, quote, I support fracking and I stand and I do support fracking, unquote. Excuse me, say what? Here is that very same, self-same John Fetterman when he was running for lieutenant governor of Pennsylvania in 2018. Said Mr. Fetterman, quote, I don't support fracking at all and I never have. And I've, I've signed the No Fossil Fuels Money Pledge. I have never received a dime from any natural gas or oil company whatsoever, unquote. Okay. This is, quite obviously, one of two equally serious problems. Either Mr. Fetterman deliberately tried to lie about his position on fracking, changing it right in front of live TV cameras, or, yes, his mind is still a jumble of confusion as a result of his illness, and he honestly has no idea what he was saying. Neither option is good, and it clearly leaves Pennsylvania voters with the realization 
that Mr. Fetterman should not be anywhere close to doing the hard work of representing Pennsylvania in the United States Senate. The other day, as a member of the Penn Live editorial board, I had the opportunity to speak with a Democrat candidate for governor of Pennsylvania. That would be Attorney General Josh Shapiro. He began his pitch by assailing Senator Doug Mastriano, the GOP nominee, as a, quote, extremist, unquote, something Mr. Shapiro has been doing quite a bit in this campaign. When it became my turn to ask a question, I quickly dated myself by recalling that in 1964, when I was a geeky teenager closely following that year's presidential campaign, our Republican nominee, Arizona Senator Barry Goldwater, was repeatedly called, yes, an extremist. Making his debut in that 1964 campaign was actor Ronald Reagan, my future boss, delivering a TV speech towards the end of October in favor of Goldwater, a speech that was called A Time for Choosing. I believe that the issues confronting us cross party lines. Now, one side in this campaign has been telling us that the issues of this election are the maintenance of peace and prosperity. The line has been used, we've never had it so good. But I have an uncomfortable feeling that this prosperity isn't something on which we can base our hopes for the future. No nation in history has ever survived a tax burden that reached a third of its national income. Today, 37 cents out of every dollar earned in this country is the tax collector's share. And yet our government continues to spend $17 million a day more than the government takes in. We haven't balanced our budget 28 out of the last 34 years. We've raised our debt limit three times in the last 12 months. And now our national debt is one and a half times bigger than all the combined debts of all the nations of the world. We have $15 billion in gold in our treasury. We don't own an ounce. Foreign dollar claims are $27.3 billion. And we've just had announced that the dollar of 1939 will now purchase 45 cents in its total value. As for the peace, do they mean peace or do they mean we just want to be left in peace? There can be no real peace while one American is dying someplace in the world for the rest of us. We're at war with the most dangerous enemy that has ever faced mankind in his long climb from the swamp to the stars. And it's been said if we lose that war and in so doing lose this way of freedom of ours, history will record with the greatest astonishment that those who had the most to lose did the least to prevent its happening. Well, I think it's time we ask ourselves if we still know the freedoms that were intended for us by the founding fathers. Not too long ago, two friends of mine were talking to a Cuban refugee, a businessman who had escaped from Castro. And in the midst of his story, one of my friends turned to the other and said, we don't know how lucky we are. And the Cuban stopped and said, how lucky you are. I had some place to escape to. And in that sentence, he told us the entire story. If we lose freedom here, there's no place to escape to. This is the last stand on earth. And this idea that government is beholden to the people, that it has no other source of power except the sovereign people, is still the newest and the most unique idea in all the long history of man's relation to man. This is the issue of this election. Whether we believe in our capacity for self-government or whether we abandon the American Revolution and confess that a little intellectual elite in a far distant capital can plan our lives for us better than we can plan them ourselves. You and I are told increasingly we have to choose between a left or right. Well, I'd like to suggest there is no such thing as a left or right. There's only an up or down. Man's own old age dream, the ultimate in individual freedom consistent with law and order, 
or down to the ant heap of totalitarianism. And regardless of their sincerity, their humanitarian motives, those who would trade our freedom for security have embarked on this downward course. Those who would trade our freedom for the soup kitchen of the welfare state have told us they have a utopian solution of peace without victory. They call their policy accommodation. And they say if we'll only avoid any direct confrontation with the enemy, he'll forget his evil ways and learn to love us. All who oppose them are indicted as warmongers. They say we offer simple answers to complex problems. Well, perhaps there is a simple answer. Not an easy answer, but simple. Now, let's set the record straight. There's no argument over the choice between peace and war, but there's only one guaranteed way you can have peace, and you can have it in the next second. Surrender. Admittedly, there's a risk in any course we follow other than this, but every lesson of history tells us that the greater risk lies in appeasement, and this is the specter our well-meaning liberal friends refuse to face, that their policy of accommodation is appeasement, and it gives no choice between peace and war only between fight or surrender. If we continue to accommodate, continue to back and retreat, eventually we have to face the final demand, the ultimatum. And what then? You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay, there is a point beyond which they must not advance. <laughs> Winston Churchill said the destiny of man is not measured by material computations. When great forces are on the move in the world, we learn we're spirits, not animals. And he said there's something going on in time and space and beyond time and space, which, whether we like it or not, spells duty. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. The speech was a hit. It can still be found out there. You can go to the Reagan Library Foundation and you can see it. And in spite of Goldwater's loss, <clears throat> The move was then on after that election to elect Ronald Reagan as governor of California. And the New York Times reported this when Reagan ran for governor. Quote, Reagan tours the counties, trying to reassure Republican moderates that his program is not rightist, unquote. Which is to say, Ronald Reagan was an extremist. In fact, one of the TV commercials from his opponent, Democrat Pat Brown, attacked Reagan for being an actor. The closing line being, you, you know he was an actor, and you know who shot Lincoln, don't you? Brown lost. This accusation that Reagan was an extremist, and he won that election, by the way, by about a million votes, wasn't just coming from the left, either. Here's, here's a few samples from the day, from the Republican establishment of the day. Republican Vice President Nelson Rockefeller dismissed Reagan as, quote, a minority of a minority who has been taking some extreme positions. 
New York's Republican Senator Jacob Javits said that Reagan's positions are, quote, so extreme that they would alter our country's very economic and social structure and our place in the world to such a degree as to make our country's place at home and abroad, as we know it, a thing of the past. Illinois Republican Senator Charles Percy said Reagan's candidacy was, quote, foolhardy, unquote, and would lead to a, quote, crushing defeat for the Republican Party. It could signal the beginning of the end of our party as an effective force in American political life, Senator Percy said. And then former President Gerald Ford said this as Reagan began winning primaries in 1980. I hear more and more often that we don't want, can't afford to have a replay of 1964. If the Republican Party nominates Ronald Reagan, it would be an impossible situation because Reagan is perceived as a most conservative Republican. A very conservative Republican can't win in the national election, Ford said. Asked if that meant he thought Reagan can't win, Reagan replied to the New York Times, that's right. The Times story went on to observe that Ford thought Mr. Reagan, quote, would be a sure loser in November, unquote, and that Reagan, quote, held extreme and two simple views, unquote. Then there was the media. Some samples from the day. The New York Times said Ronald Reagan's candidacy is, quote, patently ridiculous, unquote. The New Republic. Reagan is Goldwater revisited. He's a divisive factor in the party. Harper's Magazine. That he should be regarded as a serious candidate for president is a shame and an embarrassment for the country at large to swallow. The Chicago Daily News. The trouble with Reagan, of course, is that his positions on the major issues are cunningly phrased nonsense irrationally conceived and hair-raising hair in their potential mischief. Here comes Barry Goldwater again, only more so. And at this stage, another such debacle could sink the GOP so deep it might never recover. Time magazine said that, quote, Republicans now must decide whether he represents, he, Reagan, represents a conservative wave of the future or is just another Barry Goldwater calling on the party to mount a hopeless crusade against the 20th century. National Review, a conservative magazine, no less, said Reagan is not seen as a serious man. The Manchester Union leader, a conservative New Hampshire paper, said that Reagan lacks the charisma and conviction needed to win. And last but not least, there was Pravda, the official newspaper of the Communist Soviet Union. Reagan, the paper said, is a dinosaur from the Cold War. It is strange that there are still fish in the sea that are tempered by this putrid bait. Now, not to put too fine on this, but in spite of all these naysayers that Reagan was an extremist who could never get elected and would destroy the Republican Party, if not the country itself, unlike Gerald Ford, who lost his re-election in his election in 1976 against Jimmy Carter, Ronald Reagan went on to win a landslide election carrying 44 states in 1980, and after four years in the White House was re-elected in a 49-state landslide. Today, he is revered as one of the greatest presidents in American history. So, here we are all these years later, and this time around, there is Josh Shapiro and Democrats saying, Doug Mastriano is an extremist. Others are saying Dr. Oz is an extremist. So, we're all extremists now. Let's be clear. What's really extremist is letting boys share locker rooms and bathrooms with girls. What's really extremist is demanding that boys be allowed to play on the girls' sports teams. What's really extremist is indoctrinating kids with critical race theory. What's really extremist is shutting down parents who protest sexually explicit books in the school library or their young children's classroom, not to mention allowing the Department of Justice to classify those parents who protest as 
domestic terrorists. What's really extremist is getting nominated to the Supreme Court and saying you have no idea what a woman is. What's really extremist is to politicize the FBI and use it to raid the home of a former president of the United States. And yes, what's really extremist is running for the office of a United States senator from Pennsylvania on a platform of being the chairman of the Board of Pardons and getting at least 10 convicts serving life sentences for first-degree murder released. I could go on and on and on with this extremism. And as we all observed this last week in the debate, I think we can all agree that if anyone deserves to be called an extremist, it would be John Fetterman. I will say this. I'm sorry Mr. Fetterman had his stroke. I wish him well. My dad had a stroke when he was 57 years old, and it took a considerable while for him to recover. In fact, he had to leave his job as his boss, the then owner of the Yorktown Hotel in York, Pennsylvania, summoned me to tell me that my dad just couldn't do his job as a hotel manager because of his stroke. That was a tough blow for dad, and I have no doubt the Fetterman stroke is a tough blow for him. But the harsh reality is that John Fetterman is not up to doing the job of a United States senator from Pennsylvania. Early in my career, I had the opportunity to serve as executive assistant to Pennsylvania's senior U.S. Senator John Hines, whom I think many in this audience will remember. I worked out of his office suite in the Russell Senate office building across from the Capitol. I spent my time frequently accompanying John to the floor of the Senate for debates or in his committee hearings where he was always involved with drafting legislation and debating. And I also traveled with him, flying or driving across Pennsylvania repeatedly. I can say with certainty that being a United States Senator from Pennsylvania is hard work. You must be prepared at all times to stand up and debate on the Senate floor, in committee, and in editorial boards or address every Pennsylvania group imaginable, from unions to business leaders, educators, healthcare workers, and on and on. As it happens, I am a member of the Penn Live editorial board, and the other week I had the chance to participate in another Penn Live board Zoom call meeting, that one with Mr. Fetterman, and I had a chance to ask him a question. To say the least, his answer was an eye-opener. This was, again, before this week's debate. My question was based from an invite Sean Hannity extended to myself and Selena Zito. Selena is an ace investigative and political reporter in our home state of Pennsylvania. Sean invited us onto his radio show to discuss the current state of play in both the Pennsylvania Senate and governor's races. In the course of the show, Sean mentioned something I had heard from him before, namely that he had extended an invitation to Mr. Fetterman to come on the Hannity radio show for the show's entire three hours, as well as appear on Sean's evening TV show on Fox for that show's entire hour. The point being, of course, for a discussion and debate on the issues facing the country, with Sean holding up the conservative banner and the far-left lieutenant governor carrying the flag for his socialism-style views. In fact, in spite of Sean's repeated invitations, he said there was no response from Fetterman. Zero. Just the sound of silence. The night before the Penn Live Ed Board Zoom call, I had watched the Hannity TV show and heard another crack investigative reporter, Sarah Carter, try and get an answer from Mr. Fetterman at a decidedly noisy public event he was attending. Sarah was ignored, the crowded venue making it more than difficult. In fact, in spite of Sean's repeated invitations, there was just no response from Fetterman. Zero. Just the sound of silence. Ah, but the Penn Live editorial board meeting was a horse of a different color entirely. It was, as I said, 
a Zoom call with a relative handful of people all sitting quietly in their homes or offices with the moderator calling on the members when we raised our hands to signal a question. And my question was, why didn't Mr. Fetterman take up Sean Hannity on his offer? Fetterman's answer, in essence, was that Hannity was for Oz and Fox had run stories critical of him. I politely pointed out to him that debating the issues is what senators do. And if he were unwilling to debate Sean Hannity, he would not be doing very well as a senator whose job it is to debate. Imagine, and I didn't say this on air, but I I, I should have, imagine if Mr. Fetterman had to debate Texas Republican Senator Ted Cruz, a famously skilled debater. Well, suffice to say, this last week, I think we saw exactly why Mr. Fetterman may have been refusing to debate Sean Hannity because he had to know that the audience would hear and see a man who had serious problems, cognitive problems with his health. I must say, it is amazing to see some of the reactions from Democrats, say again Democrats, to the Fetterman performance in his debate with Dr. Oz. Here is just one headline from Fox. Quote, Panicking Dems tell NBC they regret Fetterman agreeing to debate Oz. Folks are pretty much freaking out. One Democrat strategist said anyone on his team who agreed to a debate should be fired or never work again. Rarely do I agree with Democrats, but boy, I suspect we all agree with that assessment, or at least lots of us. So let me wind up by saying this to you. It is standard operating procedure for Democrats to label our candidates, not to mention the rest of us, for more or less anything as extremists. Yesterday it was Reagan, today it's Doug Mastriano and Mehmet Oz. But the hard reality is that Democrats are really the extremists. Their support for one extremist policy after another, all too self-evident. Which is exactly why I am optimistic about this election. So, stay tuned. And stop by my website, thejeffreylord.com, to stay informed of all of this and more. And thanks for joining me here on The Word of the Lord. See you next time.